When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. This is the final episode of our mini-series here where I get to chat with the team from Touched by Addiction. It has been so much fun, so if you haven't heard the previous four episodes, the team talks about how they overcame their addiction, what was early recovery like for them, and what led them to being a part of the team, and really giving back and helping other people who need the help, who need the financial support, get into treatment. And if you haven't checked out those previous episodes, make sure you do so. They're also uploaded to YouTube now. We've got the videos so you can see the team as we chat. But I am incredibly grateful that there are so many people out there that are not afraid to recover out loud, right? They're not ashamed of it. When they look at their experience, it's just that. It's experience. They've overcome adversity and now they've actually got to help other people overcome the same challenges as they have. So that is what I'm grateful for today. On today's episode, we are going to be chatting with Jamie from Touched by Addiction. He shares his amazing story, how he overcame his addiction, and also what keeps him sober today. You know, he's got a big why and you'll understand what that is when you listen to this episode. I just absolutely love how this team really puts their heart into everything, right? They know that giving back will keep them clean and sober. And today, Jamie shares his story around that. And he also shares how you can support the cause. So if you know someone who needs to get into treatment and you would like to help, you can go to www.touchedbyaddiction.com. Make sure you follow them on Instagram. And I hope you enjoy this episode. And we are live. Welcome back, everybody. We are hanging out with Jamie today from Touched by Addiction. How are you, Jamie? I'm great. I feel super blessed. Um, had a little baby girl three weeks ago. Uh, life's good. Two years clean and sober. Uh, my business is booming. I got zero complaints. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and congratulations. So you're probably lacking a little bit of sleep right now, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I just don't expect it anymore. You know, there's no routine. There's no getting used to it. You just you do what you got to do. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's great that you get to do that clean and sober. So I always love to go back because I think we all have different stories of how we ended up in a life of addiction. And, you know, I want to break away from that. Everybody has to be have a terrible upbringing completely traumatic. Now that's the case for a lot of us in addiction, but my story wasn't like that, right? I grew up in a, a very loving home and addiction ran in my family. Unfortunately, not it bypassed my parents. So they were very lucky, 
Um, but I also drank because of my inability to handle my emotions, which I still work on today. So for you, what was life like growing up and, and what led to that point where you first were introduced to addiction? Oh, boy. Um, growing up, um, there was I had a sister and two brothers and um, my dad, you know, I didn't say we, we didn't grow up, you know, very very poor but we you know we scratched through um my mom was was and is an alcoholic um with a lot of trauma from her past that she never dealt with and my dad was just a tough farm boy uh he was carpenter and he he was hard on us you know he um i like to say he either whooped my ass too much or not enough i'm just not sure which one it was uh i don't know that he could have changed anything maybe I, I think it was one of those kids that was just hell-bent on doing it my way and um he I, I grew up playing very competitive sports um you know i and then i just i started getting in trouble at a young age i think it was just maybe for attention or i'm not sure what started stealing stuff like that um and then i mean i think i don't know it's it's hard to like, I, I guess, you know, growing up, you know, I didn't have my mom in the picture. They split up. And uh, my dad was very emotionalist. He was just that farm boy. Like, you raise an animal, you take care of it, you love it, you slaughter it, and you do it again. And um, I guess that rubbed off on us. You know, playing sports, you score three goals, and he said, well, you missed the shot on that fourth one. You could have done better and, and so forth. And, um, and then at a young age around 12 I, I i got in trouble uh got arrested at 12. just always into something no matter what and um it progressed you know my mom was kind of she was a smoker and a drinker and and just like it took me a long time to understand my mom did the best she could with what she knew and um you know I, that was the reason I, mean, I had to kind of work my i'm still working through it but um yeah, so she, I remember at a kid, you know, young age, we're smoking cigarettes and stuff, and and then it obviously progressed. And I had an older brother, and we started. I think around twelve, thirteen, I started smoking weed. See my brother doing it, skipping school. Failed grade six. I was there something like, I don't know, a quarter of the whole year. I was just skipping school and and uh, you know breaking under started. You know, you get bored, and eventually i think i can pretty much remember the first time i drank uh it was jack daniels and uh, it didn't go well <laughs> and um i never really liked drinking but i was running from something i didn't know what it was yet and then you know x amount of years later i found out it was just not being able to handle emotions i just i guess i was mimicking my dad and then growing up i always played sports my dad always found a way to get us into I started playing double A AA and triple A hockey, and he had the best of the best. But we lived in a house that was um, falling apart. You know, I I bathed in a kitchen sink up until it's probably I don't know until I went to jail, and uh, people found out at school. And and I mean, as you can imagine, that that had its effect on me. And my defense to everything was to start fighting. Um, got bullied because we were poor. Well, you know, we were. We, I've, there's obviously a lower than us for for financially being poor but like we you know we didn't have the stuff other people did at school and they found out and i think the defining moment for me in trying to gauge how to handle emotions was um 
had a, an older kid throw me off a swing and everyone's laughing and I just, I punched him in his mouth and I, and I beat him up and everybody was kind of like, whoa. And I was like, whoa, you know, that's better than being bullied. And I mean, to probably typical for, for going from being bullied, then I turned into a bully and I just kept, it was my way of keeping people at a distance and not being, you know, confronted about the actual issue. And uh, I don't know, I've probably been in between hockey and the cross and jail and the streets, well over 150 fights, um, just nonstop. And then I picked up that role as being a tough guy, and, you know, growing up. So now I'm playing the cross, I'm in and out of jail, I'm fighting, and uh, and then the drugs, you know, this, it was kind of weed and then acid and ecstasy. And um, I wouldn't say I was the addiction was there i guess it was a thrill at the time still um and then uh yeah so i was in i you know i committed some serious offenses some armed robberies and uh breaking enters and assaults and and it just kept growing and growing and then um still never dealt with the emotions i just i didn't know my dad never cried so i didn't you know i mean i cried but like i think it was probably more of a fake cry um and then uh yeah, I was 19, um, still partying a bit, but not like I needed to go out and drink. Like I was smoking weed and uh, just being lazy and complacent and, and up to no good, right? You're, I don't go to school today and you meet up the wrong people and next thing you know, you're breaking into a house or a garage or, or you're you know going into cars and stuff. And uh, yeah, when I was 19, still hanging out with my older brother. Uh, there was this, a night where we were drinking and uh, I, I would say this probably the biggest defining moment would be we went to a party, we got kicked out. I had been on probation my whole life, pretty much since I was 12, always getting in trouble, just racked up the charges. And uh, we left this party and my brother took a baseball bat and uh, he was hitting signs and stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? You're gonna get us in trouble walking home and an altercation started and a guy started fighting my brother it looked like he was pulling a gun out so i hit him with the in the head with the baseball bat and then i was so angry i hit him again and uh i was charged and he almost died and now so i'm 19 at this time i have a plane ticket to go to nationals i'm the captain of my team for lacrosse probably going to get a scholarship didn't have the marks for a division one or division two school, but I could have got into a D three and here I am almost killed somebody. I'm in jail. And, uh, the judge said, you're, you're a menace to society. You're, you're just always in here. And, uh, I didn't get out. So didn't get to go to nationals. It was in the news, this and that. And, um, so now things are kind of, they're really messed up. <laughs> So now I'm in there 19 with the adults and now drugs, like the hard drugs are, they're there. And, uh, so what I do, I started running a fight league in jail. You know, I didn't know I was scared. So, you know, I just, I was good with my hands. Let's just kind of keep you at a distance this way. And I started dabbling in drugs in jail and, um, just kind of trying to get through the day and, um, just became a mess in there. So I get out 19, Still no structure. Now I've lost my identity as, as an athlete. Sure as hell I ain't going to be able to cross the border. I got an adult record. Uh, some serious charges on there. And um, 
from there, now I had a reputation. People kind of knew, everyone knew what happened with this baseball bat. I almost killed somebody and everyone was like, whoa. And uh, I hooked up with the wrong people when I got out. I had no direction. I was um, still living this facade of a tough guy, still running from emotions. Um, it was a mess. And then uh, now I got into coke. I had one of the guys I became friends with. We were a lot alike. We liked to fight. We had messed up childhoods. We just clicked, and and he sold drugs. So uh, that's that's probably when it really picked up. So then I tried coke, and um, <laughs> that was it was it was different. Right now I felt I already felt invincible, but now I really I was just it was like it was go time, and uh, that summer. So I went in 19, when I was 19, I did two years less a day, being the youngest guy in the jail. I did the longest sentence possible in provincial, get out, and um, I'm just full of piss and vinegar and no direction. And uh, me, and, he's one of my best friends still, and, and we both live different lives now. But at the time, we flipped that city upside down, uh, you know, fighting every day of the week, getting kicked out of bars, banned from bars, kicked out of clubs, running from the cops, crashing cars. Um, you know, and at this point now, it's I'm addicted to the lifestyle, the chaos. And um, now it grew into you can only sniff so much blow, and the next thing you know, someone suggests cooking it up, and now you're smoking crack and and you're drinking, obviously, to to try and keep level headed. And next thing you know, you're into the pills to try and calm down. And uh, it was just a, a tornado, just so much chaos. And if it wasn't messed up then, it, um, it, it got worse, which sounds crazy to say that. But my, uh, I had a good buddy and my aunt murdered a week apart when I was 22. And uh, I don't know, that, was, that, that screwed me up pretty good. Um, so what do I do? I, I turned to my dad. I, me and my sister like to say he has um, a teaspoonful of emotions and it's definitely not overflowing. And so I go to him, you know, I'm talking to him about it and, and I was like, you know, my buddy just got killed. And I was supposed to be there that night at the bar and I went away up north to try and calm down. I was just, life was spiraling out of control. And so I go to my dad and he's like, well, now he doesn't have to pay taxes. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And then, you know, so um, then a week later, my aunt gets murdered. And uh, and then a week after that, so now at this point, I'm selling drugs. I'm doing drugs. I crash my car, get cut out of the jaws of life, airlifted to a hospital. And like, this is, this is one month. <laughs> Probably one of the worst months of my life. And... Um, it got it got bad. It got you know. So now you're you're the highs and lows of the pills and the, and the the coke and the crack and and uh, yeah, we got hooked up with some serious people, um, some mobsters and bikers, and just uh, I was about it. I was down with the bullshit. Um, I liked it. I was about chaos. And if it was getting, you know, as they say, it was the storm was passing, and I, well, something's gonna happen. I might might as well self sabotage it and let's just get it started now. Uh, yeah, we got robbed at gunpoint, uh, picked up in, in police raids and just guns pointed at you more times than you'd like in a lifetime. And, um, it's, 
the PTSD from that uh, and, and just that lifestyle. It, I, I mean, today I, I get anxious right now just talking about it. Um, things I'm still working through that you forget. And then like through a conversation like this, it comes up and bang, it's right, it's right there again. So um, yeah, full-blown addiction at this point. And um, again, like I said, I lost my identity as an athlete. So now I just got this identity as a tough guy, a jailbird a drug addict. I'm like, well, might as well be good at that. So, um, yeah, I ended up when I got out, I ended up doing a, commit another crime and, um, long story short, there's a warrant for me. I get caught, I get bail, set a judge and jury trial. And I was, ah, it's not really a good time to go to jail. So I skipped the judge and jury trial, move to Quebec for a bit. Same story, different province. And um, it catches up to me. I'm out west at this point, 25. I've got a warrant. I get pulled over, and they uh, they end up finding out who I am. So a week or a month later, I'm going back to court, and Hamilton now made it a Canada-wide warrant. Uh, they seen I was getting further and further away, and they uh, it caught up to me. Living life on the run. I'm out west. So they the police come out and get me, fly me back on a west jet handcuffed and shackled with normal people looking at me like i'm some terrorist uh it was i felt pretty shallow at that time um so now i end up doing two and a half well i'm in barton street in hamilton i get in some trouble there i hurt someone real bad i ended up getting sentenced to two and a half years uh at 25 and um because of my actions while waiting for trial they sent me to maximum security penitentiary um now going in there thinking you're a tough guy uh that will humble you real quick you pull up to this place with guard towers and they got guns and and you're in like the worst of the worst in canada well there was one more place that was worse than that in quebec but like this is you're going in there and you're with killers like you're 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 side by side with killers and uh I didn't feel so tough. <laughs> um, yeah, now I'm hanging out with some some real tough characters that um, have drug addictions, and I get introduced to opiates. And um, yeah, just life was messy in there. And I kind of, I was actually trying to get transferred out west to the same penitentiary where the guy that killed my aunt was uh, being housed. I was just like, I mean, my life's a mess. I had a 25 year plan. I didn't expect to the past 25. So I'm like, I might as well go get this guy, the guy who killed my aunt. And uh, that's that. I'm, I'm just going to be in jail for the rest of my life. Fortunately, I had a pro officer who was not stupid. And, and she was like, why do you want to go out there? And uh, I was like, oh, I just, you know, I don't like it here. And she did some digging and found out and, and they put a stop to that. And um, so happy for that. And, uh, so now like i'm in, i'm living this lifestyle in there with some real tough guys and uh, we're getting tear gas and you're carrying a shank and and you're riding in there all the time and it's just it's nuts it's i thought my life was crazy this was just and these guys they're institutionalized I'm not saying i wasn't but like you know sitting in there making a you know a 10 inch long shank to carry with you because you don't know what's going to happen is uh not a good feeling um, someone being stabbed 17 times over chicken breast is not a good feeling. So I kind of was like, I don't really want to live this life. You know, this isn't, I'm smarter than this. Like I'm not, I'm not just some 
degenerate that's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. Like I had, I had some, you know, some things going in life before this all happened. So I, I kind of started towing the line and communicating with my parole officer and I, and I worked the system and I got cascaded down to a lower security penitentiary and got out. And, um, <laughs> it was just crazy after that. Right. Now you still live in this chaotic mentality and now you put me in the streets and it was it was bad um i think i was i was just looking for a way to deal with these emotions and all i knew was violence and drugs and alcohol so it just it progressed and uh, i i didn't think it could get worse but it did and uh now the the overdose and right i'm addicted to more more of everything more chaos more alcohol more pills things i would never said i would never do you know, ripping off people I said I would never would and just some real shady shit. And um, it got to the point where um, I was throwing Molotov cocktails and, and kicking doors in and, and just doing some things that were just like, what are you doing, man? And um, yeah, I, I got in the Iron Workers Union and thought that would help. And they're a rough bunch, too. <laughs> So we, uh, they actually will pay for your treatment. So I was at that point, I was, uh, I, you know, I, w I went to my dad and I was like, dad, I, I, I want to kill myself. You know, I need help. And I was like, I need you to take me to the hospital. And uh, I don't hold it against him, but like he literally just dropped me off and left. Didn't say nothing. Didn't say I love you or you, you got this. Just dropped me off. And um, I told him, I was like, you guys, I need, I need help. If you guys release me, I'm, you're, you might as well follow me for the ambulance or, or the coroner because you're just going to have to get my body off the streets. And um, they got me into the men's detox in Hamilton. And uh, I was in the Iron Workers Union at the time, and I, I reached out, and they paid for me to go to treatment. Everybody knows that's not cheap. And um, I was so blessed. So I got into treatment, went and did a... I think it's a 45 day program um and i worked it like there was no tomorrow i i knew this was life and death for me so um i complete that and i knew i didn't want to come back to where i grew up so i said like, what are my options and i i went to a transition house um not far from hamilton and uh yeah it wasn't my bottom it wasn't the end yet um so now I was just coming back to Hamilton to party, which made it more expensive. And then I would go back to Guelph where I was living. And uh, it got worse and worse and worse. And then to the point where now, like, I mean, the drugs are all cut with everything now. And I'm doing meth and I'm doing blow. I'm just doing everything. And uh, I ended up barricade. You know, I, was, I could never get past my entire addiction. I could never get past two weeks that's in jail too. I couldn't go more than two weeks without using. And, um, I'm always watching the clock. Anyone who's trying to get clean or sober, you're always watching it. And it was just, I couldn't, you know, that week of shame, I go to work. Oh, I feel good. I got a bit of money back right back. And, um, yeah, that's kind of took me up to when I got clean and sober. That's wow. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it's, um, I mean, you said so many things in there that resonated with me, but I think, you know, one of them was we, we take ourselves to a point where we think 
that's never going to be me, right? And I think people who don't understand addiction don't understand that part of it is, you know, why would you do that? You know, I asked, I had people ask me, like, how did you get to this point? Like, why would you even try that? And I remember the first time I tried cocaine, I smoked it. I smoked crack. And, you know, on my deck with my roommate sitting in the living room, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, I found the solution to my blackout problem now, right? Because I was a blackout drunk. And then, of course, it progressed, like you said, to pain pills. And, you know, smoking crack in a crack house downtown, thinking, how did I get here? Like, I had a great upbringing. I have no reason to be here. But that's how powerful addiction is. And also, you know, I hear it with a lot of people who share their story the common theme seems to be our inability to handle our emotions. Things happen in our lives, we're pushed, and we just decide we want to numb them out. And we do that with so many different substances. We can do it with food, relationships, right? Drugs and alcohol, that it's crazy. And, you know, I think it's partially because we have this society where it's a suck it up mentality. And it's a don't show your emotions. And I, I don't think people really understand that that kind of mentality actually causes more harm it causes depression it causes anxiety because what it does is causes us to suppress our emotions and you know we turn to other things that are going to numb that so we don't have to feel it and i remember somebody in my early recovery told me you know you stopped growing the day you stopped drinking and i remember getting sober at the age of 36 years old from 14 and thinking, I feel like I'm in high school again. Like I feel like emotionally and mentally I'm yeah. in high school because I had no idea how to handle anything. And even in early recovery, it was okay. Well, I'm having a bad day. I'm just going to, you know, go grab a pizza and eat the whole thing. Right. And so I'm still <laughs> working on that part of my journey. So, you know, for you, I know that when I came into early recovery, it took a lot of work, right? It was different. I I mean, I remember the first day, the first thing I thought, because we are that all-in personality. I think we're capable of such amazing things. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to drink for the rest of my life. And someone sat me down and said, Tamar, you just don't have to drink right now, like right this second, today. And that, at least I could wrap my head around, even though it was hard, because I kept thinking, well, how am I going to have fun if something happens to me? How am I going to deal with it? How am I going to go for dinner with friends? Like, I just was not used to a life that didn't consist of some sort of mind altering substance. So for you, what did your early recovery look like? And what would you say kind of that key of staying clean and sober was for you? Oh, man. So I it was kind of an accident getting clean and sober. Not an accident. It was my time. But um. So I had barricaded myself in my room. I was my my older brother and his fiance had gotten evicted. They're they're tied up in this type of lifestyle as well. And I was watching their kids and um I had barricaded myself in my room and then the next day I was like, yo, I did that with kids in the house. And it's one thing to act a fool and and, and be selfish and, and all that comes with that. But to do that with kids' presence is just another like that's like a lower than than what I ever thought I would do. So, um, I kind of just went to work. I've always been a worker, and uh, I would just disappear for a couple of days and then come back to work. You know when I needed money. So I, I had a big job on the go at the time, and I just kind of I went to work, and it was hard. You know those first couple of days after their bender, you're just like I I, I feel like I'm a hundred pounds and just um, no backbone. I can't even hold my head high and 
somehow I got up and I grinded out, you know, day after day. And then I kind of looked at the calendar. I'm like, holy shit. I was just like, it's day 15. And I was like, so what, let me back up. On like day two, I found a bag of drugs in my room. I'm like, well, you've never thrown them out before. You might as well just finish these. And, and then, then we'll get, we'll, we'll start this sobriety thing. And I threw them out. And I, I, I held them in my hand for a while and I stared at them and, and uh, it was meth at the time, right? That was how I ended the last vendor and I threw them out and uh, that was probably the most defining moment I can remember because, I mean, you touch that, that's like you're going three or four days right away. You just touch a little bit of that and uh, and it's not going to end at three or four days. It'll end when you got absolutely nothing. You can't get no more spots. Everybody, you've burned every bridge and... Um, so it was day 15 and I was blown away. I'm like, I've tried so hard to get to day 15 and, and I wasn't really trying then. I was just trying to go to work and forget what I just, all the stuff I just did. And um, the defining moment is crazy because, uh, well, like obviously throwing that bag out, but so a, a friend of mine on Facebook was posting, uh, one of her girlfriends was renting an apartment. There's me. I didn't have a pot to piss in, let alone a window to throw it out. Like, I need I need to start looking at apartments, you know. I got to get out of this house. I was living with my dad at the time. He, you know, wrecking his house. And it was just, a, I partied there my whole life, right? So it was just that that place I didn't want to be. So I go view this apartment. And uh, it's this girl. I look her up. I'm like, oh, she's hot. I'm like, yeah, I want to go look at this apartment. <laughs> I, don't, I got no money for rent. And um, I go there and we start chatting her up and, and whatnot. And then just kind of she was going through her own stuff at the time and we casually started talking and, and uh, like, you know what? I'm, I want to go for dinner. So I get a paycheck and I got like a couple bucks and, I'm, and she's like, all right, but I don't want a boyfriend. And I'm like, I don't know, just as friends. And we go out and we have a good time and we actually get into something similar about the conversation we have about the jail and stuff. And this is a girl that's never done drugs in her life. Could probably count on one hand how many times she's been drunk. And there's me talking about prison and, uh, it was probably the weirdest dinner conversation I've ever had on a first date. And uh, it didn't, it didn't scare her away. And um, so going back to what we kind of talked about, I was running from emotions. I think every time I punched someone in the head, I just needed a hug. It was a lot of hugs. <laughs> and um, so she's got, at this time I have a, my son would have been probably two and a half, three, and me and my ex split. She wasn't letting me see him, which was just fueling, fueling my lifestyle. Like, oh, you know, that's my, I'm giving myself permission to act a fool. I don't have my son, so poor me. And um, she's got, her son must have been probably, you know, one and a half, two years old at the time. And so I'm hanging out with her, and I, and I meet her son, and he flipped my heart upside down. My stomach was in knots because, like, I wasn't getting to see my son, and he looks a lot like him. And I was just, like, it was every feeling that you would run from. And um, I didn't want, you know, I liked this girl, right? Things were, things were good. Um, so every time I go over and see her and, 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 Every time I seen her son, my stomach would explode, my chest would explode, and like this feeling that I I'm not used to, and I can I, I don't want to numb it, but I don't really know how to handle it. And um, so we're you know we start seeing each other and and talking, and I she doesn't know about any of this stuff now at the time, right? She knows about the jail and everything like that, and she's like, oh, I tell her, oh, I'm clean and sober. She's like, how long? I'm like, oh, a bit. 
you know, it was, I, I think when, when I told her that I was like 30 days or something like that. So now I didn't, I didn't want to screw this up. And, um, every time we hung out, like I said, my stomach would flip upside down over and over. And then she was just like, I don't know, a breath of fresh air. And slowly I would go home and I would just be like, what just happened? You know? And I would just kind of lay there and like my stomach, again, I still didn't have my son and I was just craving that, that love and affection for my kid. And, um, her son was that. And, um, um, yeah, kind of get choked up thinking about it, but, uh, he, he doesn't even know it, but like he, he was a big part of saving my life, um, and, and learning how to handle emotions. And, um, I go home and, and just white knuckle it through the night, not knowing what the hell just happened. And, uh, so yeah, that was kind of, I was, I, I I got into AA at the time. I knew, I mean, I was going to AA before this, but like I would go to a meeting and then go out and party. Like, ah, you know, I got a bit of sobriety. That's, you know, it won't be, it'll be different this time. Right. And it wasn't. And, uh, so I'm kind of, I'm doing the AA thing. And, and, uh, that was the big thing. I was, I was just breaking my old habits and I stopped hanging out with everybody. Every single person, um, I stopped hanging out with. I just went home. I go to work. Or I go meet up with the girl, and um, turned into three months. And then I got three months when I was in treatment and rehab. But like you're spoon fed there, you just got to show up and 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 wipe your own ass. Um, the work when you get out is that's that's tough work. You're in the trenches and you're going to war, and you got people that uh are bad influences like you got you got to use every tool you got and and have some luck too and and have a good structure and a good support system and uh i don't even know how i did it honestly um i got hooked up with a sponsor and we started working the steps and i had days where i didn't have my own work and i would go work at his house and uh and then COVID hit and um so now i'm dating this girl and uh that's this feeling in my stomach. It's getting a little less and a little less and, and like, it's getting easier and easier. I slowly figured it out. I was like, you're handling your emotions. You're not running from them. You're not going out, you know, and, and stirring some shit up because you didn't like that feeling. Like I can handle adrenaline and chaos and fighting and blood and all that, but like some affection, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so those would be the two big things. Uh, meeting her and throwing that bag of dope out. Wow, that's incredible. And, you know, I think the being able to, the, I think, you know, our emotions or our inability to handle our emotions in early recovery are less and less. I remember my first year, I probably cried more than I had my entire life. And I remember the first time the floodgates opened, I was like, what is happening here? Like, I didn't even know a that I had that much water in my body. Like I know our bodies carry a lot of water, but I was like, I should be shriveled up right now. And I'm not. And so I think that was my first taste of emotional intelligence, right? Is learning how to be okay, saying I'm not okay, how yeah. to reach out to that support network. And I tell people that today, right? I'm like, if you're not okay, say something like, you know, don't dwell on the past. Always talk to somebody who's going to provide you a solution or at least pull the solution out of you because we all have those solutions. But it's incredible that first, you know, time, that first bit in recovery where we build that foundation and we figure out our whys, like, why do we want that? And so 
How did you connect with the team from Touched by Addiction? Because I love what you guys do. I'm so happy to be, you know, a part of this, be able to talk to you guys, have you on the show and support cause. But uh, how did you how did you start in with that? Um, so there's this there's a, a friend of mine, which is she actually has a huge part in that defining moment when I was in the detox. She came in with another guy and they put on the writing group. And I showed up to that probably three days sober, and and I did this this form of writing called freefall uh, writing. It's more poetry, and it messed me up. I was twisted up ten ways from Sunday in my stomach. I wrote, and it, I put my emotions down that I'd never talked about. So this lady Nancy, who did that, is she's a dear friend of mine, and um, she's very active in in this this battle against addiction, and and. Um, alcoholism and she uh is a runner and my cousin um he's a runner he did this big thing he he ran to toronto and back from hamilton and raised like a i don't know thousands of dollars for the treatment the this place called teen challenge that he was in and he he actually had um i don't know if him and Bowden were in there at the same time but they had hooked up and he's like they were he's like hey cuz um you want to submit your story they're doing this book and i was like what do you mean and and uh so i got in touch both i think i don't know if he called me or if i called him and we got talking and obviously there's tons in common and um so i submit my story and uh through i'm a business owner at this time somehow and uh he we got talking a little bit and he's like, Hey, would you be willing to, would you be interested in, and in maybe joining, you know, this team? So I looked them up and I was like, you know, I thought it was one of the coolest things ever what they do. And, uh, so I jumped on board. Um, I had a full plate at the time, but I mean, let's put some more on there. And, uh, it's been crazy. Uh, but it's been so cool because, um what they how it started was is insane right like you got a bunch of people that aren't supposed to be alive they kind of put their minds together and um you know Bowden seen where there where there was room to to grow and, and kind of similar to what we talked about before instead of just being a you know a negative in your life how can we make this a positive so him and uh three others they kind of got together and i make the fourth and um it's it's a sleeping giant it, we're we're gonna go full tilt we are going full tilt into this um you know it's tough because everyone's got their lives outside but like we made time for addiction we made time to go party you know so what what's this is in such a positive way we're gonna try and save lives um you know and yeah that's kind of how we got hooked up uh, and, you know, I think you nailed it there, right? We made time for addiction. And I hear it over and over with people who are stuck there in that complacency and their recovery. And it's always the same answer. I don't have time. And it's yeah. like, well, you made time to get loaded, right? What if you took that <laughs> same energy, yeah. right? The same resilience, the same, like we were resourceful. We wouldn't have said no. If somebody would have said, sorry, you can't have that drink or that drug. We wouldn't have said okay, no problem. Just get back to me later when I can get that. Like that just doesn't happen. And so, you know, I think for those of us, we have something special. It sucks what we went through, 
but I truly believe that our experience and everything we lived through, and we're still here for a reason. I mean, obviously there's someone out there looking out for us, right? <laughs> and so, you know, we are capable of so much more than we think, you know? So what does life look like for you today? Because you have your own business, you're doing some pretty cool things, but, you know, how does it feel today to be where you are? Um, I mean, I'm still... I, I used to struggle with the thought of like, I had a 25 year plan. And then when I made it past that, and I had all these good friends die around me. And I'm like, why them and not me? And I never understood what my purpose was. And, uh, you know, and I had my son, but like, I wasn't, I was there, but I wasn't there. I wasn't present. You know, I was caught up in my own nonsense and just being selfish. Where I'm at today, how it feels, it feels so good to be present. Um, to be there and 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 you know i i have to catch myself i'll put my phone down and like my phone never stops with the business and and the tba stuff and um i'm in the iron workers union as well i'm in trade school and it's just it's i go to the detox and volunteer but like to be i make sure to be present for if i'm dealing with something i'm not sitting there thinking about what i want to say um which is was huge you know whether it doesn't matter what it is whether i'm talking to a cash register or cashier or a homeless person to give them your attention is you know it's something so invaluable and priceless and um to be able to run a successful business to the point where i mean i was just kind of doing it to try and make a living and and figure things out and it turned into this i mean i won six readers choice awards in the local newspaper um I was just trying to win one or two or something like that, or even just get my name in the paper and then to, to do something like that. And then at the same time, I have co-op kids that work with me and I, sh I am very, very open about my past and this. And uh, I think it's a blessing that I can maybe have an impact on a kid who hasn't quite started down the path that I did and, uh, and maybe steer them clear. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if I, if I had met someone like me before, I don't know that it would have helped me. Cause like I said, I think I was just one of those kids that was hell bent on finding my own way. Right. I was just a trailblazer and I didn't care, but if I can make a difference in one person's life, I mean, that's huge. And then the fact that like I'm present with my kids, um, kind of touching on what you said, like we used to make time for addiction and we'd say for days i'd go to the to a different city to try and get a spot you know so now when tba calls and and i'm not feeling it it's like you know what if you put in just half the effort that you did into that lifestyle into this you're gonna you're gonna go so far and um i mean with that being said i'm, I'm just blessed i have a chance to play i play semi-pro lacrosse um i think this might be one of my last seasons but to get the I used to sniff a half gram of coke before I went on the floor. I get to go out and talk to guys before the game that they're going to party. I'm like, listen, man, maybe pump the brakes and show them, you know, like you can still play the sport. You can still do the other stuff without that, you know, and I know that's a hard thing. I struggled with that getting on the team bus. I didn't know if I wanted to do it sober. And, um, you know, I white knuckled it through because that's just a, alcohol infused event on a team bus after a game and uh it's cool now i sit back i talk to the youngsters and I'm like hey man like i know you're gonna go do your thing but like just know like you know if you need help i'm here and just being available to people 
um, it's cool. I didn't, I mean, I, I shouldn't be alive, but, uh, you know, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of us can say that. So thank you for being so honest and open about your story, because I think that by recovering out loud and sharing what we've gone through, we're allowing somebody else to be able to hear that and say, hey, if they made it, maybe I could too. So I really appreciate you being on the show. Now, for those people listening that want to help, you know, um, donate, how can they do that? How can they reach you guys? Um, so we're on Instagram. We have a website. Um, we can You can reach out to us there. Um, what are the other ways? Uh, I think... So we're, we got this thing going right now. We're going to be doing um, like speaking events and stuff like that. So we're out there. We're loud. Um, you know, we we don't wear this badge. You know, like I get it. It was, it was a tough time. But like we're out there. And we're, we're very vocal. So um, they can call us. They can text us. And there's numbers there. Um, I'm very open about it. So if they... They wanted to get a hold of us uh, either to support or even just to ask for help. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Touch by Addiction, um, our website, www.touchbyaddiction.com. Um, I think that's about it. Awesome. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for sharing your story and being on the show today. Thank you so much for having us. Well, that wraps up this five-part mini-series. I hope you enjoyed it. The stories are so powerful. And if you know someone who's struggling, forward this episode, make sure you visit the Touched by Addiction website, which is www.touchedbyaddiction.com. And remember, you can help by purchasing a hoodie, a shirt, a hat, or even donating to the cause. So if you know someone who needs help and needs to get into treatment, make sure you reach out to the rest of the team. And we've got some big plans in the future with Touched by Addiction. We're going to be having them on the show more often. We're going to be doing little panels and chats together with the whole entire team. So there's going to be a lot of fun. You can expect to hear a lot more from these guys. And I hope you enjoyed those episodes. And remember, share them out. And if you're struggling right now, just know, right, I hope this brings you hope that you too can get the help you need and that you too can live an amazing life in recovery and beyond. See you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.